Not good morning, good afternoon. I got it right this time. If we haven't met, my name is Matt, and good to see y'all, yeah. My name is Matt, and I'm the lead pastor here, and one of the most difficult tasks that I have at Christmas is finding a Christmas gift for my dad. Anybody with me? No? I'm the only one who has a difficult time finding a gift for their dad. I think some of you are lying, but that's all right. Um, so I, it always goes like this, Dad, what do you want? I don't know. I don't need anything, right? And so then I'm like, oh, I still have to find something. I found something for him this year, but... Um, What's, what's more fun, though, is my wife, Heather, her dad, um, every Christmas, he gets a little more creative with his responses. So I just want to read his responses from the last couple years when we asked him what he wants for Christmas. So last year, he said this, Mom says a good swift kick in the butt, but that's not very Christmassy or nice. So let's start with peaches and cream instant oatmeal, Cocoa Krispies, Small dessert-sized paper plates, a California car duster, yes, that's a real thing, a Roadrunner Coyote t-shirt, XL, Patrick Mahomes to throw a good pass, and world peace. That was last year, mind you, with all of that. Um, And now, remember, I'm quoting my father-in-law, so please don't hold any of this against me, okay? Um, This year... He said, I've been thinking hard. I have so much. What could I possibly need? So here we go. Wheaties cereal, fun-sized mounds candy bars, body wash, scrubbing sponges, shop rags, a jug of white vinegar, rice pudding from Fiesta Foods Deli, a Republican House and Senate, and of course, world peace. So again, I'm not making a political statement. I'm just quoting um, my father-in-law here, all right? Now, what's funny is my wife gives him all of these things every year. Um, obviously not world peace, and obviously this year not a Republican House and Senate, but everything that he can give to him, he does, and it's hilarious, him opening all of this stuff individually. It's, it's a good time. Um, but this year, she took it to the next level, because he always asked for world peace. And so she, she printed a picture of Meta World Peace, or Ron Artest, who used to be an NBA player who changed his name to Meta World Peace and maybe changed it back to Ron Artest. I don't know. I get lost in it. But a picture of him with his jersey, and it says World Peace on the back, so she gave him World Peace. Um, But in all seriousness, isn't this what we all want and all crave, is peace? We've We've been going through this series, His Name is Jesus, and we just, we just sang a song entitled that, which is great. Thank you for leading us, worship team. But we've been going through this Christmas series focusing on the names of Jesus found in Isaiah 9-6. And it's a foretelling of Jesus' birth. And so I just want to read that scripture. And then we're going to talk about him as the Prince of Peace today. So Isaiah 9, verse 6, it's on the screen for you. For a child will be born for us. A son will be given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. So Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Now, it's an interesting title, and and the first thing I thought of, and my, my first task in looking at this was, why is he called the Prince of Peace and not the King of Peace? This is Jesus, right? This is God himself. Why is he not called king? Well, I looked into it, and this Hebrew word for prince 
means chief or ruler. It means that there's no one with a higher ranking or authority. So it just kind of got lost in translation. I wonder even, I don't know this for sure, but I wonder if even whoever was translating it was like, well, let's just alliterate here, you know. Um, But it doesn't mean second in command like it does or or the the next person to take the throne like it does in our English word. So um, clear that up. It's, It's... He's the ruler of peace. It might as well be king of peace. But what is peace, more importantly? The Hebrew word for peace in the Bible is shalom. And it simply means the way things should be. It means to to make all things right. So I want to walk through like a history of peace and how Jesus is the king, the prince, the ruler of peace. And so it starts all the way back in the beginning in Genesis 1, and he is the author of peace there. He created everything. He created everything culminating in the creation of mankind, and he brought shalom, peace, the way things should be in the Garden of Eden, and relationship between God and man was beautiful and perfect and connected, and relationships with one another, with Adam and Eve, were beautiful and perfect, and they didn't have any conflict. Can you imagine a marriage without conflict? Can you imagine a relationship of any sort without conflict? That's what was going on here. Jesus was the author of peace, but by Genesis 3, Adam and Eve destroyed this peace, destroyed the way things should be by deliberately disobeying God and eating the fruit that they were told not to. And the peace that Jesus began at creation between God and man was destroyed. And a cycle began where you see God, Jesus, the Prince of Peace, bringing peace, or at least trying to bring peace, and then humans taking that and throwing it on the ground and trampling on it destroying it. And that is the rest of the Old Testament, basically, until we get to Luke chapter 2. And Jesus comes on the scene as a baby, as the restorer of peace. So he's the author of peace, but he comes to restore it by coming himself. Luke chapter 2, verse 8. It's on the screen. In the same region, Shepherds were staying out in the fields and keeping watch at night over their flock. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today, in the city of David, a Savior was born for you, who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be the sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped tightly in cloth and lying in a manger. Suddenly, there was a multitude of the heavenly host with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to people he favors. When the angels had left them and returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go straight to Bethlehem and see what has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. They hurried off and found both Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And after seeing them, they reported the message they were told about This child and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary was treasuring up all these things in her heart and meditating on them. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had seen and heard, which were just as they had been told. So here is the Christmas story. Jesus comes on the scene to restore peace. 
the Prince of Peace himself, God himself, came to begin the restoration of peace, the, to, to, be, to begin restoring the peace that was in the Garden of Eden, Eden by humbling himself and becoming a baby. See, this is how much Jesus loves peace. Think about it. He became a diaper-wedding baby to begin this process of restoring peace on earth. How humiliating. Right? That's what humble means. It means it's humiliating. Jesus humiliated himself by becoming a baby. Also that he could bring peace. This is what we celebrate on Christmas. But what we celebrate on Christmas is just the beginning of the restoration of peace. Christmas is nothing without Good Friday and Easter. Christmas is nothing without the death and resurrection of Jesus. But Christmas is also nothing without the second coming of Jesus. He will come back one day and make all things right and bring peace and shalom once and for all. Come, Lord Jesus. Wouldn't that be great if it was today? But of course, even a beautiful event like the birth of Jesus didn't stop humans from trying to destroy this restorative act of peace. If you look at Colossians 1 with me, last week, if you were here, last Sunday, we looked at Colossians 1, 15 to 20, but it continues in verse 21, and it says, once you were alienated and hostile in your minds as expressed in your evil actions. King Herod, if you know the story of Christmas in Matthew 2, King Herod tried to kill Jesus, the Prince of Peace, by having all the boys, two years and younger, slaughtered. Thankfully, he got away. But Colossians 1.21 is saying that all of us, in our minds and our actions, naturally would do the same thing. You see, it's easy to go, oh yeah, King Herod, he tried to kill Jesus. No, 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 no. This is all of us apart from Jesus. Whether you know it or not, apart from Christ, you are at war with Jesus. And your sin rejects and destroys the peace that Jesus is trying to bring. And ultimately, it led human beings to crucify on a Roman cross the restorer of peace himself, Jesus. See, it wasn't just the people shouting, crucify him. It wasn't just Pilate giving the okay. It wasn't just the soldiers that crucified Jesus. No, in a very real way, because of Colossians, what it says right here in Colossians 1.21, we did it because we are alienated, myself included, hostile and evil apart from Jesus. I'm convinced that I would have shouted, crucify him. And I'm convinced all of us would have. But Jesus didn't stop. He is the resurrector of peace, quite literally. The next verse, so let me read Colossians 1, 21 and 22. So once you were alienated and hostile in your mind as expressed in your evil actions, but now he, Jesus, has reconciled you by his physical body through his death to present you holy, faultless, and blameless before him. 
See, despite our best efforts, the Prince of Peace could not be stopped. He rose from the dead. He beat death itself. We saw earlier in Colossians 1, it calls Jesus the firstborn of, from the dead. That means he has all the rights over death because he beat death itself. And he did this to reconcile us to God, to restore peaceful relationship with God. Now, as I look at a scripture like this, I just, I love the buts in the Bible, okay? And I'm not talking B-U-T-T, I'm talking B-U-T, okay? So, verse 22, but now he has reconciled you. We see this over and over in scripture, but God. See, God comes in and resurrects the mess that we create. What we intended for evil, crucifying Jesus, God intended for good the good of resurrecting peace. So Jesus is not just the resurrector of peace. We see in this scripture, he is the assurer of peace. He gives us assurance. Verse 22 again, but now he has reconciled you by his physical body through his death to present you holy, faultless, and blameless before him. Greek scholar Larry Pierce defined peace, the word peace used in the New Testament This way, he said, it's the tranquil state of a soul assured of its salvation through Christ. And so fearing nothing from God and content with its earthly lot of whatsoever sort that is. A soul assured of its salvation through Christ. Assured is the key word. We can be absolutely convinced that we have peace with God, that we have right relationship with God. But how? How can we be so absolutely assured of the peace we have with God? Here's why. We have Jesus' perfect record now, not ours. When we trust in Christ, God sees us now with Christ-colored lenses when he looks at us. And we're presented to God, as it says here, holy, faultless, and blameless. And it's not because we are We are the opposite of holy, faultless, and blameless. Verse 21, it said we are alienated, hostile, and evil. But Jesus came in and gave us his record. So God looks at us and sees us as holy, blameless, even though we're not. This is incredible, amazing grace. Peace with God is 100% certain. That's 100% certain for eternity, all because of the Prince of Peace. Imagine that you had a friend who was like, you know what? We're always going to be friends. We're always going to stick together. And you know how that goes with friendships. It's like, yeah, okay, whatever. We'll see if that happens, right? But imagine your friend physically got cemented to the floor like in your house, okay? With in, let's just say it's indestructible concrete all the way up to his knees or her knees. They're not moving. They're not going anywhere. Well, guess what? You could still leave that relationship, right? <laughs> You're stuck, right? But what if you both got physically stuck right next to each other? Then it would be true that you literally would never leave each other. Here's what I'm getting at. Jesus' death and resurrection permanently cemented both God and us in relationship with one another forever. 
We will always be in peaceful, loving relationship with him. If you are in Christ, if you have trusted him, if you believe in him, if you are a follower of Jesus, that is your state. Now you might have a lingering question. And it might go something like this. If that's true, why don't I feel at peace all the time then? Did the angel lie about Jesus when the angel said that he's bringing peace on earth? Well, I don't feel it. Did Jesus actually die and rise to bring peace between us and God? Because I don't feel it right now. How is Jesus the prince of peace? Well, he's also the fulfiller of peace. I want to look back at Isaiah 9. And I want to read verses 6 and 7. So verse 6, for a child will be born for us. Here's the prophecy of his birth. A son will be given to us and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. In verse 7, the dominion will be vast and its prosperity will never end. He will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness from now on and forever. The zeal of the Lord of armies will accomplish this. So the prophecy here continues in verse 7. And it's talking about Jesus' return when he makes all things right. When he brings peace. The peace that he purchased and he gave to us will finally come when he comes back. But peace won't be fully experienced until then, until all things are made right. We still live in a world full of sin, full of rebellion, full of anti-Jesus movements. A world that's anti-peace. And we still have lingering a sin nature. And we still have a very real enemy, the devil, lying and deceiving us and discouraging us. So yes, we don't feel at peace all the time. But one day, if you are in Christ, you will. But just because you don't feel peace with God doesn't mean it's not there. It's closer than your very breath. We live in an already not yet time in the history of peace. Peace was already purchased and given to us, yet it's not yet fully experienced. And that's frustrating some days. Not everything is okay. But it doesn't mean we have to just sit around and wait for Jesus to come back to experience the peace of Christ. We have a choice every day to recognize and enjoy Jesus' peace right now. We have a choice initially. You have a choice to receive the gift of peace that Jesus offers us or to reject it. Maybe you're familiar with this scripture, John 3, 16 to 18. For God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. Anyone who believes in him is not condemned, but anyone who does not believe is already condemned because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. What verse 18 is saying is that you do have a choice to reject Christ and his offer of peace. 
Anyone who does not believe is already condemned. You can choose to reject and destroy peace. And in so doing, you're actually choosing to destroy yourself. And you're rejecting the peace that your heart and your soul is longing for and craving in life. Or, verse 16 You can choose to receive Jesus' offer of peace and believe in him. John 3.16 is a Christmas verse. He gave as a present his only son, but you have to receive a present. You have a choice to receive eternal life, to repent of your sin and believe in Jesus, and you can do that today. I urge you, I beg you, if this is you, if you do not know Christ, why reject the Prince of Peace any longer. He loves you so much that he gave himself. But maybe you're here and you've done that. Praise God if you've done that. You have peace with God. But you have a choice daily, multiple multiple times a day, to enjoy that peace that Jesus purchased or to ignore the the peace that Jesus purchased for you. Look at Colossians 3.15 with me. It says, and let the peace of Christ, to which you were also called in one body, rule your hearts and be thankful. The key word in this verse is let. Let the peace of Christ rule your hearts. It's not that Jesus' peace ever goes away. We just choose to ignore it. We don't let the peace of Christ rule our hearts and, and fear starts to rule our hearts instead or worry starts to rule our hearts or, or, or cheap, sinful thrills start to rule our hearts and then we wonder why, Jesus, why aren't you making me peaceful today? When all along we've just been ignoring his peace. We have a choice to enjoy the peace of Christ that's already ours. Or we can ignore it. But how do we do that? How do we enjoy Christ's peace? How do we, as this verse says, let the peace of Christ rule our hearts? I just want to propose two simple but profound answers that are found right here in this verse. And the first one is this. The church. I'm not talking about a building And I'm not talking about merely attending a service, although that's a good start. I'm talking about the body of Christ. Here when it says body, it's referring to the body of Christ. That means followers of Christ. This verse is saying that we are called to the peace of Christ through the body of Christ. So, do you enjoy the peace of Jesus in relationship with others in a local church. Maybe you're visiting here today. Do you have a church community back home? Maybe you're here on Christmas, and you're here, and and you aren't normally here, and you live in the area. And I'm so glad you're here, by the way, this afternoon. But perhaps the reason you're not experiencing the peace of Christ in your life as much as you would like to is because you haven't given yourself fully to the body of Christ. This week, as a pastor, while working on a message on peace, I lacked peace in my heart. And so, I went to men's group Monday night. 
I went to our elder meeting on Tuesday morning and said, I just feel a little bit off. Can you pray for me? I went to my connection group Tuesday night and had them pray for me. And guess what? Jesus gave me the experience of his peace as I did that, as I pressed in to the body of Christ. Even though I wasn't feeling it, I still gave myself to the body of Christ, to other believers, and started to really experience the peace of Christ. And I know it's because of other people that God was using in my life. If you really plug in with people here at Stonebridge or at at another church at your home, you will start to experience the peace of Christ like never before in your life. Don't be sitting in another Christmas Eve service next year and regret not pressing into church community and miss out on experiencing Christ's peace. The second simple but profound answer to how we can enjoy Christ's peace is this, thankfulness. The verse ends with be thankful. At bare minimum, we have peace through Christ's sacrifice to be thankful for. So at bare minimum, you always have the cross of Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection, to be thankful for. Stop and, and, and thank him for that regularly. But we live in America. The poorest of us are some of the richest people in the world. Stop and thank Jesus for the millions of blessings that you've been given and experience the peace of Christ. And are, are there any kids here today? Raise your hand if you're a kid. Okay, great. Yeah, all right. Here's, let me give you some advice, kids. What will make or break your experience of opening up presents tonight or tomorrow is this, okay? Listen well, all right? It's whether you choose to be thankful for what you get instead of ungrateful for what you didn't get. Because you inevitably won't get everything on your list, right? That will make or break your experience of opening presents. True for adults, too. Maybe a good reminder. It's not the actual gifts that help us experience peace. It's their attitude, right? Thankfulness. But the prerequisite to thankfulness is pausing. We live in a busy, packed world, and we live busy, packed lives, and everything's fighting for our attention. Even when we have downtime, your phone, Netflix, your thoughts are all fighting for your attention. If you actually want to experience the peace of Christ more, you must pause regularly, daily. Think about it. You don't actually expect to experience peace while you're rushing around all the time, do you? It doesn't make sense. We must pause. So I just want to ask you this. If you actually want to get serious and experience the peace of Christ through thankfulness, when and where are you going to do that? So for me lately, in the morning, I've been trying to get up. This doesn't happen every day, but get up before my kids get up. And I sit on the couch right next to our Christmas tree. And I just sit there and I thank God 
First, I thank him for the cross. I thank him for, for all sorts of things, for rising from the dead, for eternal life. I thank him for my family. I thank him for heat, especially on a negative 1,000-degree day. I for all the stuff he's, he's given me that he, I don't deserve. And I let the peace of Christ rule my heart. But if you don't actually have a plan of when and where you're actually going to pause, you probably won't be too thankful you probably won't be all that thankful in your life. It takes time to do that. But if you want to experience the peace of Christ, I invite you to do that. So how can we enjoy Christ's peace? How can we let the peace of Christ rule our hearts? Giving ourselves to God's people, the church, and practicing thankfulness by pausing. And as we stumble our way forward, recognizing and pressing into his peace, Jesus remains constant, and he remains steady. Amen? He is our wonderful counselor. He is our mighty God. He is our everlasting Father, and he is our Prince of Peace. So as the worship team comes on up, you guys can make your way up. I just want us to pray, and I want to pray these blessings from Scripture over you. So may the Lord bless you.